Chapter Twenty Two, Part One of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Twenty Two, Part One shortly afterwards the bravo returned with the information that cardinal federigo borromeo archbishop of milan had arrived the day before at with the purpose of spending there that which was now just dawning that the news of his arrival which had been spread around for a considerable distance the preceding evening had excited a desire in the people to go and see this great man and that the bells were ringing both to express their joy and more widely to diffuse the glad intelligence when again alone the signor continued to look down into the valley still more absorbed in thought for a man everybody eager everybody joyful at the sight of a man and yet doubtless each has his own demon that torments him but none none will have one like mine none will have passed such a night as i have what has this man about him to make so many people merry some pence perhaps that he will distribute at random among them but all these cannot be going for arms well then a few acknowledgments and salutations a word or two oh if he had any words for me that could impart peace if why shouldn't i go too why not i will go what else can i do i will go and i will talk with him face to face i'll have some talk with him what shall i say though well whatever whatever i'll hear first what the man has to say for himself having come to this vague determination he hastily finished dressing himself and put on over all a greatcoat which had something of a military cut about it he then took up the pistol which lay upon the bed and secured it on one side of his belt fastening at the other its fellow which hung upon a nail in the wall stuck a dagger into this same girdle and taking a carabine from the wall which was almost as famous as himself swung it across his shoulders then he put on his hat quitted the apartment and repaired at once to that in which he had left lucia setting down his carabine in a corner near the door he knocked at the same time letting them know by his voice who he was the old woman sprang out of bed threw some articles of clothing around her and flew to open the door the signor entered and casting a glance around the room saw lucia lying in her little corner and perfectly quiet does she sleep asked he in an undertone of the old woman what is she sleeping there 
with these my orders you old hag i did all i could replied the woman but she wouldn't eat and she wouldn't come let her sleep quietly take care you don't disturb her and when she awakes martha shall wait in the next room and you must send her to fetch anything that she may ask for when she awakes tell her that i that the master has gone out for a little while that he will be back soon and that he will do all that she wishes the old woman stood perfectly astonished thinking to herself this girl must surely be some princess the signor then left the room took up his carabine sent martha to wait in the adjoining apartment and the first bravo whom he met to keep guard that no one but this woman might presume to approach lucia and then leaving the castle took the descent with a rapid step the manuscript here fails to mention the distance from the castle to the village where the cardinal was staying it cannot however have been more than a moderate walk we do not infer the proximity merely from the flocking thither of the inhabitants of the valley since we find in the histories of these times that people came for twenty miles or more to get but one sight of cardinal federigo from the circumstances that we are about to relate as happening on this day we may however easily conjecture that the distance cannot have been very great the bravos whom he met ascending stopped respectfully as their lord passed waiting to see if he had any orders to give or if he wished of them to accompany him on some expedition and seemed perfectly astonished at his countenance and the glances he returned in answer to their salutations when however he reached the base and entered the public road it was a very different matter there was a general whispering among the first passengers who observed him an exchange of suspicious looks and an endeavour on each side to get out of his reach for the whole length of the way he could not take two steps by the side of another passenger for every one who found him quickly gaining upon him cast an uneasy look around made him a low bow and slackened his pace so as to remain behind on reaching the village he found a large crowd assembled his name spread rapidly from mouth to mouth the moment he made his appearance and the throng fell back to make way for him he accosted one of these prudent gentry and asked where the cardinal was in the curate's house replied the addressed party reverently and at the same time pointing out the mansion the signor went forward entered a little court where many priests were assembled all of whom regarded him with surprised and doubtful looks and saw before him an open door which gave admission into a small hall where there were also collected a considerable number of priests taking his carabine from his shoulders he deposited it in one corner of the little court and then entered the hall 
where he was received with significant glances murmurs and his oft-repeated name then all was silent turning to one of those who surrounded him he asked where the cardinal was and said that he wished to speak to him i am a stranger replied the priest but hastily glancing around he called the chaplain and the cross-bearer who seated in a corner of the hall was saying in an undertone to his companion this man this notorious character what can he have to do here make way however at this call which resounded in the general silence he was obliged to come forward he made a lowly reverence to the unnamed listened to his inquiry raised his eyes with uneasy curiosity towards his face and instantly bending them on the ground stood hesitating for a moment and then said or rather stammered out i don't know whether his illustrious lordship just now is to be can may but i will go and see and he very unwillingly carried the message into the adjoining room where the cardinal was by himself at this point in our story we cannot do less than pause for a little while as the traveller wearied and worn out with a lengthened journey through a wild and sterile country retards his pace and halts for a little time under the shade of a noble tree reclining on the grassy bank of a stream of running water we have now fallen upon a person whose name and memory occurring when they will to the mind refresh it with a calm emotion of reverence and a pleasurable feeling of sympathy how much more then after so many mournful pictures after the contemplation of such fearful and hateful depravity on the history of this personage we must absolutely expend a few words he who cares not about hearing them and is anxious to proceed with the story may pass on at once to the succeeding chapter federigo borromeo born in fifteen sixty four was among those characters rare in whatever age who have employed singular talents all the resources of great wealth all the advantages of privileged rank and an unwearying diligence in the search and exercise of the highest objects and principles his life resembles a rivulet which issuing limpid from the rock flows in a ceaseless and unruffled though lengthened course through various lands and clear and limpid still falls at last into the ocean amidst comforts and luxuries he attended even from childhood to those lessons of self-denial and humility and those maxims on the vanity of worldly pleasures and the sinfulness of pride on true dignity and true riches which whether acknowledged or not in the heart have been transmitted from one generation to another in the most elementary instruction in religion 
he attended i say to these lessons and maxims he received them in real earnest he tried them and found them true he saw therefore that other and contrary lessons and maxims could not possibly be true which yet were transmitted from age to age with the same asseveration and sometimes by the same lips and he resolved to take as the rule of his thoughts and actions those which were indeed right by these he understood that life was not designed to be a burden to many and a pleasure to only a few but was intended as a time of employment for all of which every one would have to give an account and he began from a child to consider how he could render his useful and holy in fifteen hundred and eighty he declared his resolution of dedicating himself to the ministry of the church and received ordination from the hands of his cousin carlo whom long and universal suffrage had already signalized as a saint shortly afterwards he entered the college founded by this relative in pavia which still bears the name of their house and here while applying himself with assiduity to the occupations which were prescribed he added to them two others of his own free will and these were to give instruction to the most ignorant and neglected among the population in the doctrines of the christian religion and to visit assist comfort and relieve the sick and needy he employed the authority conceded to him by all around in including his companions to second him in such works of charity and set a noble example of spending in every honest and beneficial employment a pre-eminence which considering his superior mind and talents he would perhaps equally have attained had he been the lowest in rank and fortune the advantages of a different nature which the circumstances of fortune could have procured for him he not only sought not after but studiously neglected he kept a table rather meagre than frugal and wore a dress rather mean than decent while the whole tenor of his life and behaviour was in conformity with these particulars nor did he think it necessary to alter it because some of his relatives exclaimed loudly against such a practice and complained that by this means he would degrade the dignity of the house he had also another warfare to maintain against his instructors who stealthily and as it were by surprise endeavoured to place before behind and around him more noble appendages something which might distinguish him from others and make him appear the first in the place either thinking by this means to ingratiate themselves with him in the long run or influenced by that servile attachment which prides itself in and rejoices at the splendour of others or being among the number of those prudent persons who shrink back with alarm from the extreme of virtue as well as vice 
are forever proclaiming that perfection lies in a medium between the two and fix that medium exactly at the point which they have reached and where they find themselves very much at their ease federigo not only refused these kindly offices but rebuked the officious instruments and that between the ages of childhood and youth that during the life of the cardinal carlo his senior by twenty-six years in his authoritative and so to say solemn presence surrounded by homage and respectful silence incited by the fame and impressed with the tokens of sanctity federigo as a boy and a youth should have endeavoured to conform himself to the behaviour and talents of such a cousin is certainly not to be wondered at but it is indeed much to be able to say that after his death no one could perceive that federigo then twenty years of age had lost a guide and censor the increasing fame of his talents erudition and piety the relationship and connection of more than one powerful cardinal the credit of his family his very name to which carlo had almost annexed in people's minds an idea of sanctity and sacerdotal pre-eminence all that should and all that could lead men to ecclesiastical dignities concurred to predict them for him but he persuaded in heart of what no one who professes christianity can deny with the lips that there is no real superiority of a man over his fellow-men excepting in so far as he devotes himself to their service both dreaded exaltation and sought to avoid it not indeed that he might shrink from serving others for few lives have been more devoted to this object than his own but because he considered himself neither worthy enough of so high and perilous a service nor sufficiently competent for it for these reasons the archbishopric of milan being offered to him in fifteen ninety five by clement the eighth he seemed much disturbed and refused the charge without hesitation he yielded afterwards however to the express command of the pope such demonstrations who knows it not are neither difficult nor uncommon and it requires no greater effort of subtlety for hypocrisy to make them than for raillery to deride them and hold them cheap on every occasion but do they therefore cease to be the natural expression of a wise and virtuous principle one's life is the touchstone of profession and the profession of this sentiment though it may have been on the tongue of all the impostors and all the scoffers in the world will ever be worthy of admiration when preceded and followed by a life of disinterested self-sacrifice end of chapter twenty two part one recording by martin geeson